0: Welcome to Sex, Drugs, and Spirituality with Sydney Delorean. That's me. We have fan favorite Rob Love, hashtag Research Champ, uh, coming on to teach me about something I have no idea about. How's it going? That's right, Rob? Sydney.
1: Hash- that's real good, Sydney. That's right, hashtag Fan Favorite Rob Love here with a juicy true crime story. That probably most people have never heard of, but it's got everything you want in it. It's got intrigue and drama and a kidnapping and a happy ending. Um, so,
0: Is this a tale from the Pacific Northwest? Is this another? Uh, you bet it is. Oh.
1: You, you bet your sweet patootie this happened in Tacoma. And in fact, it happened probably about one mile from from where I live, so.
0: What I love is that when you finally start your own podcast, Tacoma Tales, uh, you're going to have no material left because you will have covered it all right (laughs) here on my show.
1: (laughs) Mike's Mechanic Shop. They, they're bad. They do bad work (laughs) and they charge too much.
0: Yeah. They once charged a guy for a new tire, but they actually just plugged the hole in his old tire.
1: Oh, that. Yeah, there's I could probably fill up 10 years of episodes with stories like that from around (laughs) here. But no, but this one's good. This one is about it's a it's a kidnapping story along the lines of. The Lindbergh baby kidnapping, oh. except this one has a happy ending, and this one wasn't perpetrated by the parents. <clears throat> was
0: the Lindbergh <clears throat> was the Lindbergh baby um, kidnapped by the parents? I can't remember what happened in that case.
1: Um well, the official narrative is that it was not kidnapped by the parents, but a lot of evidence suggests. That oh. it was in fact an inside inside job, kind of like uh, like a big Lebowski type situation, where you kidnap your own kid, pay yourself the ransom, but then the kid en- ends up murdered by the kid quote unquote kidnappers. Oh. but but the kid but the kid had some physical deformities and might have been like mentally challenged, and you're a staunch um what's that called where you oh uh eugenic you're you're a staunch eugenicist yeah it was big
0: back (laughs) then people loved eugenics
1: and especially when you're the guy who was the first to do something heroic like fly across the Atlantic Ocean in an airplane Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and you pride yourself in being the fittest and the the smartest and the best. You know what I mean. And then to have a kid that doesn't live up to your expectations of him,
0: yeah, um, could yeah. be a
1: real, real black eye to the whole eugenicist in you. you yeah. Know? So I'm not saying I'm not saying he did it. I'm just saying that there are some theories out. there. There's a theory that maybe it wasn't uh, <clears throat> a kidnapping after what? all.
0: Well, okay, but also why this is, not
1: that's ju- a whole o- other episode.
0: Why not just say <laughs> it's crib death? That seems like a really complicated thing to do when you could just like smother it and say it was a crib death. I don't know. I'm but not
1: then. But then you can't you can't launder like the uh, ransom money
0: gotcha, gotcha. to
1: to yourself.
0: Rich you know? people get into weird shit. Like life gets complicated in ways that you don't even you couldn't even imagine. <clears throat>
1: Well, you heard about the Ken- that Kennedy daughter. Um,
0: uh, um, oh, yeah. Um, f- is it Frances?
1: I don't, I guess, I don't know her, her name, but yeah, that sounds right. But were they just like gave her a lobotomy? She was weird. Mm-hmm. So they gave her a lobotomy and just put her in a home from the time she was like in her 20s or th- early 30s or something till the day she died. She just was put in a a, you know.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's the whole deal with Rain Man is that um, Tom Cruise doesn't know that he had a brother because his brother was... Um, oh, Rosemary. It's Rosemary Kennedy. Is that right?
1: There you go. Um, yeah. That Well, I don't know. No. Sure. We'll say it. We'll, we'll go with it.
0: <clears throat> but but yeah, the, the whole plot of Rain Man is like then he's reunited with his brother later in um, life because... Uh, and he didn't know he had one because they just put him in a home because he had autism. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Maybe we'll do an episode on Rosemary Kennedy uh, someday. Read all about that lobotomy. I mean,
1: well, um, did that happen in Tacoma though? I don't, I don't know. know but I'm we not could, interested. If it,
0: oh, <laughs> I'll ask someone else then. <laughs> um, but maybe we'll do. I'll do an episode about lobotomies because that's wild. That's fucking wild. Oh
1: God. That's the worst. Well, you, you have to kind of roll in um, electroshock therapy mm-hmm. into that as well. That's you know part of that. The whole um, tholido- or not thalidomide. <laughs> Pardon me. Um, <laughs> sorry. My goodness, how rude. Um, thorazine. Oh, like do do a whole like one flew over the cuckoo's nest kind of deal. You know?
0: Yeah, I could have my mom on. Oh, there's a... She was a There's
1: uh, In fact, if you want to do a Tacoma version of that, Western... uh, I don't know if... Currently, Western State Hospital is across the street from the old, like, spooky... um, There's actually the ruins of this old... um, I don't even think it was a mental hospital. It was just like... What do you call it? Where you just put people away. (laughs)
0: Uh, because they're crazy it it was that kind of a
1: deal it was yeah it was something like that actually i mean and there's like it's there's a park there now on the grounds and it has all these informational placards like here's where the and they have the original barn where the chickens were um kept and stuff and because like the inmates or whatever you would call them were um like they were growing their own food and stuff. Oh. So, and that was part of the therapy of it too was like, okay, now we're going to go grow some corn or whatever and keep the chickens and all of this stuff. So it kept them busy and also contributing to their own well being and paying for the place as well. But then there was some stuff that regulations or whatever that happened later on that caused that to not be allowed anymore. Mm-hmm. And and things got weird. And I don't know. But there, <clears throat> there's probably some pretty good stories. I know there's some like, ooh, I bet you there's some spooky ghost stories because a lot of people think the ruins of that um, old mental hospital are like ha- haunted and
0: stuff. Oh, yeah. maybe.
1: Teenagers.
0: Little... Yeah. Teenagers
1: going there late at night, like smoking a little doobie and like getting <laughs> spooked out. You know, that kind of creepy.
0: Yeah, I don't know if I could handle that. It's so funny because, like, I don't believe in ghosts or anything, but you better believe that I'm creeped out when I'm in environments like that. Even though, like, I'm like, I don't believe in any of this stuff. It's still just, like, dark and I don't know. It's just creepy. Um, Plus, I get, like, creeped out if I'm just, like, high around Ralphie because he looks at me weird. Um, so I don't need to go to an abandoned mental hospital if my fucking... Well,
1: once, once you're used to the way, uh, Frank looks at you, I mean, anything's gonna appear weird in comparison.
0: Well, yeah, cause Frank looks at me perfect and Ralphie, his eyes are really wide set. He actually looks like, um, you know how they, the people believe there's the human alien hybrids. I feel like yeah. he's like a chihuahua alien hybrid because his head is kind of shaped like a gray alien. And he has these like slanted almond eyes and he'll like look at me like with disdain. Um, <laughs> oh, my God.
1: <laughs> <laughs> he's like, oh, God, he's like stewy family guy yeah
0: it is and when i first got him he had like a, his eyes were really red he, I, he had to get some drops for him but, but he just had these red eyes and would like side eye me and i was just like ah this <laughs> fucking dog is <laughs> creeping me out um so what are we doing a podcast about today by the way
1: well this is the kidnapping this is the story of the kidnapping of george warehauser um okay. if you're not familiar well, first of all, uh, George Weyerhaeuser was born on July 8th, 1926. Okay. He was born into the family of the basically the, the, the logging and timber magnate family. You know, he was kind of, uh, yeah, he was born into this, whatever, a captain of industry, um, three generations or so. Like his, his, I think it was this little boy that we're talking about. His like great grandfather emigrated from Europe and landed in the East Coast, started uh working in timber, the timber industry, and then <clears throat> eventually worked his way across the Midwest. Um, while he was there, started purchasing land in Washington State, like even during the Civil War or something oh. like that. Um because he was, like, working his way up. You know, he was becoming, you know, wealthier and had, you know, whatever. I don't know if it was his money that he was spending, but at that time there were all of these, um, like, the railroad, the, the race to build railroads to the West Coast was going on. And so the government was basically just granting all these parcels of land to the railroad so that they could build stations along the way. But the... I, I mean, I'm not an expert on this, but I don't think that the railroads needed as much land as they were given or something like that. So he started buying up some of that land
0: or something like that. People got it to build the railroad, but it wasn't needed. So he's like, oh, you want to make some money? I'll buy it. I'll buy it.
1: Yeah, I'll I'll buy that. You only need so much to build your... This is all conjecture in my head right Mm -hmm. now. I'm sort Mm -hmm. of painting a picture in my head. But I know that it was useful to have the the land and the timber that was growing on the land to be located near a railroad because that's how you were going to transport it, right?
0: Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha.
1: So he'd been working on this master plan for forever. This is like the great-grandfather. I don't even know his name, uh, first name, Warehouser obviously, was his last name. But um so then, you know, like, I don't know when the family eventually made it out to Washington state. It was around 1900 or something like that. And before long, they were like the biggest game in town. Like they were, they cornered the market on timber and timber products and all of that. And through like after world war one, um, they started like branching out and diversifying in different products, like before, then just the boards, like the lumber itself, mm-hmm. was their main goal. Um, but then, like in in part due to World War One, I, I guess for some reason, apparently <laughs> they started like figuring out ways to use like the pulp. They they would take the sawdust, and I think this is when they first um, started making like particle board. Oh, gotcha!
0: Yeah. And then
1: they would then they would take the pulp and make paper. So they got invested in the paper industry.
0: Can Um, I ask you a question? This sort
1: of thing. Yeah.
0: And you have to pardon my ignorance. When was Washington State settled? Like, when did these Europeans, these white folks, make their way to Washington? Um, because we know that, like they start, people started coming to America up and down the um, East Coast, um, but no one, no one shipped into the, the West Coast. So people worked their way apart. So, like, when was when was Washington settled?
1: Well, like um, what, what,
0: like was there a town when this dude got there in nineteen hundred?
1: Right right um well the first okay well it goes back now i grew up in southern california i didn't grow up in washington so by the time i moved up here i had already missed that washington state history class that you're supposed to take with all of your classmates in like eighth grade or whatever Mm -hmm. like i was past that so i had to take it like (laughs) i had to take it just as like by myself (laughs) in high school, I had to like do it just on my own. Okay <laughs> silly. You've but, done a great um, so job.
0: You know more about well, Washington than most people that live there. I
1: don't I don't think that the class the Washington State history class I took contributed much to my knowledge of Washington State history at this point. but um, going back as far as you can as far as you can go for Washington State, As far as I know, unless there's some like French Canadian, I don't think they were over here back then. I would think Spanish came up the West Coast, but I don't think they, they didn't come up this far. So I think the first European influence was, um, oh gosh, now I'm blanking.
0: Well, I pulled up the Wikipedia. (sighs) Are you ready for it? No,
1: Lewis and Clark. Lewis and Clark. Hang oh, on. No, okay. no, okay. I'm not ready for oh, it. Okay. I'm still building my story. Okay. Thank you for asking. <laughs> so Lewis, the Lewis and Clark expedition was supposedly... Like there's different stories on where they eventually found the Pacific Ocean. Some people say that they went to Astoria, Oregon. And some people think there was a separate little jaunt to Olympia, Washington. Like there's a plaque at Sylvester Park in Olympia, Washington, um, that says this is the, you know, the the end point of the Lewis and Clark Trail. So that's one version of events that they they went all the way up into Washington. Um, But anyway, so that's, but there were no, you know, towns here or anything. I think now the state, I believe, was incorporated. It became, it was originally part of the Oregon Territory. Before any states existed, it was the, all the Oregon Territory, and then that got divided up into obviously Oregon, Washington, and I think Idaho. Okay. Um, at some point, so Washington statehood maybe you're maybe that's what you've got in front of you, but I think it was in like 1851 or something like that, eighteen somewhere around there.
0: Um, you are uh, pretty close. So. Um it uh, was separated from Oregon in 1853 and established as Washington Territory. Um, in 1889, it became the 42nd state. Uh, oh,
1: 1889. Um, oh, I was way off.
0: Yeah, so apparently uh, the Pacific Northwest was one of the first populated areas in North America. It, like, has the oldest bones there. Um but, well, that's
1: because of the native people, though. Well, yes, that's yes. The Salish, the Salish tribes. I mean, yeah, I was uh-huh. just
0: saying that as like a, that's interesting. Um, but,
1: oh yeah, no. The actually to to continue on that point, um, these were hunter gatherers. The Salish people, the people that lived on the coastal areas around Washington. Uh huh. Um, they didn't. They didn't have to engage in. They were able to remain in one place and build. I think they built, like, Logans or longhouses. I think they built longhouses out of cedar planks, and they had, like, lodgepole. <laughs> they used lodgepole pine for the whatever. They built these lodges and whatever. <clears throat> they were able to have um, permanent settlements without agriculture, which oh. is unusual.
0: Yeah, that is. So
1: they were, they were able to just basically fish and hunt and gather enough to you know, feed a, a, a permanent settlement, which is pretty crazy.
0: Yeah, they were keto. They just ate the fish and the and the. Oh, animals. for
1: sure, dude. They were keto AF. Yeah, they were OG keto.
0: Um, But, okay, the Europeans started uh, hitting it up in 1774. It was some Spaniards in 78. Oh, there you go. There were some Brits. Um, So yeah, the late 1700s, it seems like a lot of Europeans were hitting it up. So that makes sense. Um, And settlement started to happen around the 1830s. And um, they refer to it as the settlement there because that is actually when white women began moving to the territory. Um, Woo-woo! Yeah. um, Shout out
1: to white women. Because
0: before that, people were seeking out the Matisse, which is like... um, Apparently, it was like a mixed race of people um, that were a result of you know European fur traders uh, having sex with the Indians and like they, Native, sorry, the thing I'm reading says Indians, um, so so apparently there was like a whole separate race they called Matisse because Europeans kept going there and fucking the natives. And so then they had a a different race of mixed-race people. And then when the white people were going there uh, to, like, settle down, they were like, we totally want these Matisse women. But then they brought in, like, white women. Um, So, okay. Okay. So, yeah.
1: So, back back to... (laughs)
0: I was just that wondering because I was like I was like how industrious is this dude who's out there running a timber business like is he like a pioneer founding this town or are there people there so there's people there there's people
1: oh there. oh well I mean I don't know like he I don't know that he founded any towns I think he mainly just had there were logging encampments mm-hmm. located along the railroad um, and of course once they were done I, I mean, I imagine that they would kind of place these logging encampments where there was uh, enough logs in the nearby surrounding territory to, like, feed that, you know, operation of, like... Because they would build a little, you know, railroad depot or, a you know, a station sort of a thing where the, tr- the freight train would come by, stop, they'd load the logs on, and then the train would take them where they were going. So... Um, I don't know that it was towns necessarily. I think it was more just like outposts and encampments gotcha. basically at that point. They would go into town with their you know with their pay or whatever <laughs> and for provisions, you know, get your hard tack mm-hmm. um maybe a new axe handle or something <laughs> but but yeah, so I don't think he he didn't really found. They weren't the warehousers weren't known for like building up cities or anything.
0: Okay, yeah. They, they, w- just, they weren't part of the development of cities because they were kind of on the move. No.
1: They just they opened up lumber mills and put a lot of money in their bank account, essentially.
0: Hell. So
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay, so George Warehouser. Now,
0: <laughs> now we're getting
1: into the actual story. Little. Lil George Weyerhaeuser was born July 8th, 1926. And um, when he was about nine years old, when he was nine years old, on, well, I don't know the exact date that his grandfather died, but, um, so his grandfather dies, and on May 17th, 1935, there's an obituary. Uh, printed in local newspapers and even far reaching ones including Spokane, Washington or Spokane as you like to call it.
0: Did I did I do but, that? Uh, <laughs> no,
1: I'm just giving you a hard time. To- no, once a long time ago I gave you a hard time. But uh so <laughs> so so this obituary runs for this um, timber magnate um, it was it was J.P. Warehouser uh, I believe, was George's grandfather's name. Um, so his obituary runs in the, in the paper and in Spokane, and these three degenerate losers... Well, this one lady... Okay, so these three degenerate losers find the obituary. Um, let me give you their names. We have... First of all, it's Margaret Whaley um she's 19 years old. She reads the obituary in the in the Spokane paper and um now this is 1935 the um Lindbergh kidnapping happened in 1931. Okay. And,
0: so it's a known and thing. And in
1: that it was a known thing there there was a spate of essentially like copycat kidnappings that were going on. Um, after the fact, or maybe even before the Lindbergh kidnapping, that might have been where the kidnappers of the Lindbergh baby got their idea to do it.
0: Oh, so um, it was a big industry. Kidnapping. It was
1: a big industry in the. They called it the, uh, the, what they called it the snatch racket, (sighs) which was also which was also the name of my punk band in high school, snatch racket.
0: No, it wasn't.
1: But no, it wasn't. But (laughs) so in the late. Late 20s, late 20s and early 30s, that was, like, a big thing, right? Mm. There's all, the, you know, like, the depression is going on. There's all these really rich people that have way too much money, and you don't have any. So, obviously, what are you going to do, right? You're going to kidnap their kid and, you know, hold them for ransom, whatever. So, this is, like, part of the zeitgeist at that time. So, this obituary runs in the paper, in Spokane, and 19-year-old Margaret Whaley reads it, and uh, tells her her dirtbag husband Harmon Whaley, 23, and uh, and presumably their friend um, William Swede Dainard, which he he also went by William uh, William Mahan, like man M A H A N. Um, but so she tells them about this thing and supposedly kind of suggests that it would be a good idea to maybe, cause I assume that the, in the obituary, they mention how much money he was worth at the time of his death.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So
1: it probably kind of planted the idea in her head. Like, so, uh, his you know, the, the person who just inherited all that money is living in Tacoma, like they knew all about it from the obituary, I assume, like who his next of kin were and where they lived and all this. So she gets the idea that maybe a kidnapping is in order and that that's a good way to um, to make a little quick cash, right? Yeah. Now these, lo- these losers, um, so Harm and Whaley met William Swede Daynard in, um, Idaho state penitentiary, um, back in the, I think it was 1929. They were both serving time there at the same time. Harmon Whaley was there serving like a six month sentence for some petty bullshit. And, uh, Swede was there serving a longer sentence for like I don't know if it was bank robbery or, you know, it was something a little higher up than that, right? So that's where they got to know each other. Um, And then, now this is 1935, so.
0: And you know what I'm picturing is the guys who did the Tanya Harding knee clubbing, Jeff (laughs) Galuli, and the other fella (laughs) whose name I can't remember, but I'm picturing two kind of like bumbling 'er ne'er-do-wells
1: you're not too far off (laughs) good you're not too far off yeah so they you know they got free let's see i think i think as the story goes Harmon whaley got out of the idaho state penitentiary in like you know 1929 or 1930 or something he wandered down eventually found his way down to utah where he met this margaret i forget her um Maiden name, but met her probably when she was like 16 or 17. They dated for a week and then got married. And then that happened eventually... at the time, <clears throat> yeah, sure. Well, she was kind of an old maid at 17. Like, wh- what are you doing? Yeah, <laughs> so eventually they make their way up to uh, I think they you know, they left Utah, they go up to Spokane, um, and then also. At some point, this William Swede Dainard guy uh, that Harmon met in prison—they um, all like are hanging out together in Spokane,
0: having threesomes, uh, rolling. I dice. don't know.
1: I don't know about that. Maybe you never know. Yeah, you never know.
0: You never know. Um,
1: you don't ever know. So, so like the idea gets proposed that maybe kidnapping a member of this rich family and holding them for ransom would be a good way to make some money. So within like three days or so, they all pick up and move. Oh, wait, they were, I. F- oh, well, I'll get that. I'll get to that later. Okay. They all pick up and move. They, they like go to Seattle. They don't pick up and move, but they do, lo- they um, start a base. They like, you know, get a base of operations going in Seattle. They rent an apartment there. They start a grunge band. Start a grunge <laughs> band. It's it's actual like jugs and you know ukuleles. And yeah. Stuff. Uh, so at that point, they uh, Harmon and Swede, the two guys, um, start making sort of reconnaissance trips down to Tacoma every day. They drive down. Um, and kind of scout out the area around where the warehousers live. They're kind of trying to like get a sense of their daily goings on and like when they might be able to, you know, when would be a good time and opportunity. They're just looking for an opportunity kind of. So
0: they have a um, car, right? Because they're driving from Seattle to Tacoma. They had like a Model T or something.
1: They do. And it probably wouldn't surprise me if it was a Model T. Yeah.
0: Were And there, there um, weren't any other cars at the time. There must In the have 30s been. there were. Okay, okay. In
1: the 30s there were, for sure. There was like there a was Datsun like or a something. Bunch. There wasn't a Datsun, but there was all kinds of like Studebakers okay. and like cars that you've never heard of because they got swallowed up by the the main, you know, the big 3.
0: Gotcha. You know,
1: all of those whatever. You know what I'm talking American
0: about? American Motor Company. Um
1: I mean, that's later even, but yeah. I'm thinking like I don't know. They had they were just like dudes' names, like the Doisterhauser.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: That was a make. I'm sure.
0: Oh yeah. (laughs) So there there were other cars. So they're kind of bougie. They had a car
1: by the by the 30s. There were a lot of cars. Yeah.
0: And why did they decide Seattle and not Tacoma to for their base? Because they didn't want to be in the same city as like the kidnapping.
1: Real good, real good question. I. Don't know. Yeah, that's a that's probably a good um, guess as to why that would be because it's not that far away. It's only like thirty five miles. So okay, you know, back then, back then, their I five didn't exist. So picture an hours drive, maybe hour and a half, maybe hour and a half. Okay, between the two places. So they these two guys for about 3 days or so they they're they're making these like reconnaissance trips trying to like scope out the scene, figure out how's what's the best way to hit it. And on May 24th, 1935, uh George Warehouser happens to be let out of class early, oh. 15 minutes early for lunch that day. Now normally George would walk down to the Annie Wright Seminary where his sister went to school and he would wait there with her for their chauffeur to come pick them up and take them home for lunch.
0: Uh-huh. Bougie.
1: So little George, bougie. So little George Warehouser walks to the Annie Wright Seminary as usual to go collect, you know, meet up with his sister, but he gets tired of waiting around so he decides he's gonna just walk home oh, which is no. not far away yeah so he decides to and i think at this point like he's he's walking i don't know at one at what point the two guys the kidnappers spot him walking but my guess is maybe on his way from lowell elementary school which is about a mile from my house on his way to Annie Wright, maybe they were driving by and spotted him. And uh, at at any rate, like at some point, George Warehouser like leaves Annie Wright Seminary and decides to go walk home on his own. He cuts through this sort of like wooded section near the tennis courts of this Tacoma Lawn Tennis Club, mm-hmm. which is like extra bougie as well. That still exists; it's still a thing. Um, so he cuts through there and when he um, pops back out you know from that trail onto the street there's a car it's like a 19 i forget 1927 something packard or something <laughs> <laughs> you know one of those but anyway it's like this old kind of a jalopy at that point they uh, but the with these two kid, kidnappers are just like waiting for him right And one of them gets out of the car and is like, say, fella, uh, (laughs) tell me how to get to Stadium Way, would (laughs) you? Which is like a street. It's like a street, you know, that's where the supermarket is or whatever. That's, you know, about a half mile from there maybe. And uh, who knows, the little boy, well, gee, mister. And then it's at a certain point, the guy grabs a blanket Wraps it around the little kid. Well, gee, Mister, and then like shoves him into the backseat of the car, and they they drive away.
0: Oh my god! And they god. just kidnapped.
1: They just kidnapped George Warehouser. They had no idea that that wasn't even part of their plan. They were just basically trying to figure out, okay, who can we kidnap? You know, like when can we do it? And then all of a sudden, the opportunity presented itself, and they're just like,
0: here it Yoink. is. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: Jesus so, Christ
1: hell yeah so they drive off with this kid in the blanket um, they they drive they get out of town they go up into the sort of into the mountains a little bit um, it's between Seattle and Tacoma um, near this the place called Issaquah essentially I think that as far as I can gather that's where they went and um, <clears throat> they they drive up to this place that they'd obviously scouted out ahead of time.
0: Okay, so not There's back a, to the apartment they're staying at. They had not, scouted out another. Not back place. to the
1: apartment. They take him out into the woods. Oh. Yeah, they take him out to the woods, like a shack in the woods um, near Issaquah, and uh, basically middle of nowhere back in then. You know, back in the nineteen thirty-five. I'm sure. So there's a hole. There's like a pit dug in the ground. They blindfold the kid. They chain his legs and they lower him into this pit. Right? (laughs) It's about six feet.
0: Lower him down so he's like upside down (laughs) while they lower him down.
1: I don't know. I I don't know, but it's 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 like six feet deep. You know, it's like six feet deep. So they could probably just like okay, here you go, kid, and, like, lean down and, like, kind of, dr- you know, whatever. Have them yeah. hang off their arm while they... So it's not that deep, but it's, like, six feet deep, maybe, like, three or four feet, you know, wide um, on either side, and they put a, you know, so he's blind blindfolded, chained, his legs are chained, and they put boards over the top of the pit, and uh, and that's where he sits for, like, the next three hours or so. Until they find a new location, they they take him out of the pit, take him to the new location. Um, he's, he, like, sits blindfolded while they dig a new hole.
0: Jesus Christ! <laughs> I guess they didn't pre-plan, so they didn't dig a bunch of holes. But they're moving him around so that they're not detected. Is that the point?
1: I wonder if why... I wonder if they got spooked away from the first location because they I mean you don't just happen upon a pit like that. Yeah. right? they must have dug it, but then they must have realized, oh no, uh, there's some reason we're gonna get spotted or something. I don't know. I don't know, but they move them to a new location. They have to dig a new hole like a couple of dummies. Um, they finish digging the hole. they they take this time they take the back seat out of their crappy car. And lower it into the hole as to give uh, young George something to sit on. It's a wide hole. (laughs) It's a wide hole. So uh, it might have been a single seat, not the whole bench. I don't know. But um, so there they leave him for like another... I read like another couple or three days. That seems a little harsh. I don't know if that's the truth. But eventually they take him... They put him back in the, they put him back in the car. They put him in the trunk of the car, <laughs> and they drive him across the state and supposedly all the way into Idaho, the next state over.
0: Have they sent a um, ransom note yet? No.
1: Oh shoot! Yeah, sorry, 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 sorry. The first day. Okay, gosh, thank you.
0: That's what I'm here. Let me for. just turn.
1: I'm Let just me like just turn they're the page. They've here. got
0: this kid. They're moving this kid around. Okay.
1: Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's get back to okay, so that's we'll put the the kidnappers on pause. Okay. So you see them, they're speeding away with the kidnapped kid in the trunk of their car. They're on their way to Spokane. Mm-hmm. But that's a couple days later. So now we're back to the day of the kidnapping in Tacoma. Okay. So the kid. George doesn't show up for lunch, obviously, right? And um, the parents think it's weird, but boys will be boys, and there was a fair in Puyallup
0: oh. at the time.
1: So they're thinking, well, maybe, maybe he kind of like skipped school and went to the Puyallup fair. Like maybe he hadn't even gone to school that day. Maybe he had like met up with a friend. And like first thing, gone off to pew all up, and was having fun at the fair out there, right? Yeah, as boy as boys will do. Um, so they send, so the parents like notify the police, right? When he doesn't show up for lunch, they're like something's weird. They call the cops. Um, cops come. They're like, okay, well, let's figure out what, where he is. They actually send um, officers or notify officers in in the next town over. Um, and they search for him at the fair, and they don't find him. So, and that's about one thirty. So this is you know noon. He's missing. One thirty, they determine he's not at the fair, which is you know was their next best guess.
0: At least they so looked. They, you know what I mean?
1: At least they looked. You hear yeah, so they many did, cases
0: where up until like one thousand, nine hundred and eighty-six, they didn't even fucking look because they didn't have to up until they passed the law. I think it was 84, 86. <clears throat> That made it so that children are different than missing adults because they used to, with um, you had to be gone like 24 hours, and that was 48 hours. Yeah, Yeah, it was the same for children up until the 80s. Um, So, yeah, there's so many kidnappings where they're like, Yeah, we can't look for your kid. It's only been a day. They're probably just um, playing video games or something
1: i I have a feeling something about being a millionaire back in 1935 mm-hmm. might have played into that. Oh,
0: okay, so it's a <laughs> lot it's a law like now you're right what, what am I talking about it? Yeah, it's rich people
1: <laughs> so they you know so now they're worried they were in the kid, the kid wasn't found at the fair um, so now you know it's tension right mm-hmm. uh, around let's see around six pm. I believe it was around six thirty that evening. Um, a special a special delivery, uh special mail delivery gets delivered to the Warehouser home, which is located. Do you wanna guess where it's located at? What is the it, number address is? Uh six nine
0: four twenty.
1: You're very close. It's four twenty.
0: Ah I knew it. I knew it. Um,
1: so, uh, a special, a special delivery gets, uh, message gets delivered to 420 North 4th street. Okay. Put that on your walking tour. It's only about a mile from here.
0: You're like and in the uh, process of doxing yourself, by the way, between the last pup dates and this one, you're, you just
1: put all the radiuses. You just put a bunch of like, you know, where you put the radius. Okay. It's gotta be within this circle.
0: Yeah, yeah. I've already are it I've out. already
1: do- if you listen to all these episodes, you can figure out where I live. It's pretty easy. <laughs> but um Just look for a so, guy with
0: a two foot beard.
1: Yeah, yeah, feeding crows. So this letter arrives and the police are there, right? Um in the letter there's this like crazy twenty-one point like list of instructions that are somewhat repetitive and kind of goofy. I won't go through them all, but included is, uh, it's essentially, you know, a demand for $20,000 ransom. Okay. Um, to return the boy. Um, and it, on the outside, on the back of the envelope, it had the boy's signature because they had like in that first pit where they kept him they like must've, you know, written up the ransom letter, um, sealed it in an envelope, and then at some point they handed the boy, George, boy George, the envelope to have him put his signature on the back to, to sort of lend authenticity that, you know, here he is. It's actually him. You know, we actually have him and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, at some point, they take, this is a weird side bit that I learned, but they t- at some point they take the, the envelope to the boy's school teacher and, or maybe they bring the school teacher to their house or whatever, who knows, but to have her authenticate his signature. Cause because she would know th-
0: the parents don't know. They're she rich. Would know. they don't see their kid.
1: Exactly. Yeah. That's the part that I thought was weird. Like really? Okay. So she authenticates that it's his signature. I saw an old like black and white photo of um, her like pr- prostrate on a on a sofa like swooning after she had heard the news that that the boy was kidnapped Ooh, <laughs> <you know? laughs> it's this giant mrs garrett lady you know it's like this six foot tall lady
0: <laughs> she's a <the> big lady
1: <laughs> she looked pretty big in the photo oh you I like know. that i'm not averse to it but uh you like you know, like a six foot
0: six foot two lady
1: we're back to the story. Okay. Um. So.
0: <laughs> I'm just trying to set it up that you're like into giant. What's that fetish? Gigantism. Yeah. You like that.
1: Amazon, Amazons. Yeah. I, yeah. A, like. I it's... like. I'm. I'm a devotee. Okay. <laughs> okay. So the six foot tall lady, says that it's his signature. So they know it's all legit, right? Mm-hmm. So they've got this twenty-one point set of instructions. Blah blah blah. Like it basically is like, don't involve the media. You know, don't send cops. Um, blah blah blah. Whatever. Um, one of the things is, in order to communicate with us, you will, um, you'll run a personal ad in the Seattle Times oh. or Seattle PI, Seattle newspaper. When you're ready to meet our demands, when you have all of this stuff, all your ducks in a row, you're gonna run an ad in that paper that says, We are ready, and you're gonna sign it Percy Mini. All right? Uh huh. So that was that was part of the deal. And also you're gonna have to come up with two hundred thousand dollars. Um
0: wait, two hundred thousand? Sm- I small. thought I thought it was twenty thousand.
1: Two hundred thousand.
0: Okay, okay, okay.
1: Maybe I misspoke or something, but yeah, 200,000 um, unmarked bills, small bills, um, yada yada. And don't involve the cops, you know, that kind of a deal.
0: Yeah, the huge. So,
1: the huge. So, um, let's see. So, that is the evening of May 24th. In the meantime, the next three four days or so are spent with um, you know they're, they're accumulating the ransom money mm-hmm. they're getting together this assortment of you know non sequential unmarked bills um, and in the meantime just for a little little teaser in the meantime the now the FBI has been involved at this point because it's like a kidnapping thing. There was the fit, the Federal Kidnapping Act had been I think I mentioned that had been enacted in 1932 oh, as okay. um, a response to the Lindbergh kidnapping. They called it the Lindbergh Law, um, and it it instituted mandatory life sentence for any kidnappers. Um, there was also a provision. Or a statute that made sending extortion notes through the U.S. mail a felony.
0: Oh. Um,
1: and so the FBI was involved because an ex- this ransom note was sent through the U.S. mail.
0: Gotcha. So now,
1: so now these, these kidnappers are definitely felons, right? The FBI is involved because it's a federal thing. The post office was involved. Um, they're looking into whether they can enact, you know, like... Uh, call up this federal kidnapping act thing. Um, one of the provisions is that of that is that the kidnappers transport the kidnapped person across state lines.
0: Oh, okay. Um,
1: anyway, yeah, that's
0: always bad. So
1: that's that's a bad thing. Yes, um, that's part of kidnapping is the transportation. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the whole. I think that's a, the exact definition of kidnapping is not just detaining them but making them move from one location to the uh, to another gotcha. i think that is the essential definition of what kidnapping is <laughs> so um so over the next few days you know they're they're doing all this stuff the fbi is involved they're they're thinking you know who could be behind this they have no idea who could be behind it their best guess is this like mobster out of chicago they're like, yeah, he's the best equipped to deal with this kind of a heist, see? So our eyes are pinned squarely on him.
0: There's one you know. guy in the whole country that's like, this well, guy, it had to be this guy.
1: Well, he had a, he had a, you know, he was a mobster, so he had, you know, cohorts. And in fact, one of his henchmen was reportedly seen in Tacoma during that week.
0: Oh, okay. Like within
1: the past few days. So they're like, oh, it's probably that whatever I can't remember his name but um, so they were thinking that might have been going on um, they're getting the money together they're whatever they're just like working out their plan so uh, part of that that ransom note said you had until May 29th to get the money together and respond to us okay. and on May 28th May 28th John which is George's father John Warehouser. Um they they, uh, oh, they, they run that ad in the paper um, that says we're ready. signed Percy Minnie. And so on May 29th, let's see, oh, uh, John receives a second letter from the kidnappers. And it instructs him to travel to go to Seattle um, and register at the Ambassador Hotel under the name, James Paul Jones. Okay. <laughs> yeah, whatever. His name was like John Paul Weyerhaeuser. But whatever, James Paul Jones. I don't know. It's just it hard to spell any...
0: Weyerhaeuser. They wanted to save the effort.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so uh, further instructions were delivered that evening. Um, they told John to drive... To a certain location, there would be a marker. There'd be like a a stick in the ground on the, along the highway okay. or road or whatever. On this, on the top of the stick, there'd be a white piece of cloth, and then like I don't know, at the bottom of the stick, there's like a can, like a soup can, with a note in it uh-huh. that told him to go t- to another location, a second location. So he followed the instructions. He goes to the next location. And um, he finds like the stick with the the white piece of cloth on it, but there's no like there's no other instructions. So he just sits there and waits for a few hours, and no one ever shows up. Uh-huh. So he just goes back to the he goes back to the hotel. So the next day, he gets a phone call from someone who appears to be affecting like a European. Um, voice, like, uh, intonation to their voice, you know? Like a bad accent. Um, <laughs> kind of, yeah. And which actually goes back to the Lindbergh thing. That same thing happened where they were apparently contacted by someone in a weird European accent, you know? Huh. But anyway, so uh, the next day John gets this um, phone call frustrated angry phone call from someone with a European accent um so why didn't you follow our instructions he's like well I went there and I didn't see anything like I, I did what you said and there was nothing right so um so then
0: so was he like at the wrong spot or what
1: I think what happened was the can just got moved or they forgot to put they screwed up basically they made this as you'll see in the next part i'm about to read they made this like system of this like scavenger hunt thing like really too complicated Ah. where if one link if one link in the chain got like fudged a little bit like there's no way to find the end so it's like apparently like he only made it two links into the chain that night but the next night he gets uh, this phone call and says okay we'll go to this location starts the whole they they direct him to this abandoned house he goes to the abandoned house and inside the gate the front gate there's a a can you know another soup can they must have loved cans i don't know if it was soup it was a it was a can
0: everyone uh, had cans back then you'd kick the can you know it's just the beans came in cans it was just the, the era of cans and i think some of them had shit in them that made you sick like in the actual can
1: oh <laughs> probably botulism yeah. yeah yeah you'd get it
0: because you the can would be dented and you'd get botulism so it's just a rough time so for he, people and cans
1: But I mean, you know what, if you're hungry, it's probably a great time because before that you had to like have food handy, but, but then you could just like open up a can. You got, what are some of the things you could find in a can? You could find green beans.
0: Stewed tomatoes.
1: You could find stewed tomatoes. You could find peas. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: You could find corn. Mm Mm-hmm. Should we keep going? <laughs>
0: I don't know. I'm t- cuz I'm trying to think of things that would be in cans in the 30s and I'm I think it was limited. I don't There was Campbell's soup. I think soup. it was limited
1: too. I don't know if Oh, maybe Campbell's soup. Yeah, I'm thinking a lot of single ingredient foods yeah. that were available in can. Like it was just corn or it was just, you know, beans or whatever. So yeah, I don't the, know, maybe they had I I don't I don't think they had any like, you know, Chef RD or anything, but mm, yeah, they no, might have had Campbell's. Not.
0: There was Campbell's because we probably... looked it up once when they invented soup, and it was, like, uh, before the turn of the century. That was century. one of the first.
1: Oh, okay, yeah. So they definitely had the soup. So, um, So, yeah, I think he just, whatever, the can got misplaced or someone came along and, like, picked it up. Oh, what's this? And then tossed it in the bushes. Like, anything could have gone yeah. wrong to foil that, like, way too complicated rube goldberg device of a a scavenger hunt so um the second evening they direct him to go to this abandoned house he looks inside the gate right where they tell him there he finds another can with a note tell him to go to another place he finds another note this goes on several times until he ends up um on this rural road like out in the middle of nowhere um, he pulls over off the road at the spot they tell him and um, he was told to leave the ransom money in the car, leave the, the driver's side door open with the dome light on mm-hmm. and then get exit the car and walk towards the highway. So he does this and when he's about 100 yards away from the car, he hears someone scurry out of the bushes, hop into the car and drive it away.
0: Uh oh.
1: With, yep. So he heads back to the highway. He finds a ride. You know, whatever. Rich guy. Back in the thirties, can probably hail a ride. You know, people hitchhiked back then.
0: Yeah, it was normal. So
1: he finds a ride. He's fine. He makes his way back home. Um, the kidnappers now have their money. Um, the The car was driven back to Seattle. And was found in the Chinatown, the International District, the Chinatown area uh-huh. of Seattle back then. It was just abandoned. Um, there was, they found like a an empty can in the car. So many fucking cans. <laughs> so many cans. <laughs> so that's, that's it for that car. Brand new car too. It was like a... It was like a 1935. I want to say it was um, a Pontiac.
0: And the anyway. car was done, so they crashed the car or what?
1: No, I don't think they trashed it. I think they just left it. They just abandoned it. Okay. I'm sure it was fine. Yeah, yeah. So okay, so that's that. Um, so the so dad's the, like the kidnappers... on
0: the highway, and they just left him there. So uh, who comes to get? Not him? even
1: a hot. Hi- Not even a highway, this is just a road. Oh, okay. So he just has to wait for the next passing vehicle, I think. Like eventually he finds he, you know, hitches a ride, finds his way home.
0: Gotcha. I I didn't
1: I didn't find any information on how he got (laughs) him. But so now the kidnappers have their money. At this point, oh, now we have to go back to the kidnappers. Yes. So this all happened before you know after where we left off with the kidnappers so the kidnappers are done keeping him in holes and chained up okay and whatever so they decide to take him back to their actual house that they lived in in Spokane you know uh-huh. that the Harmon or sorry not Harmon's the the Whaleys Harmon and Margaret Whaley. Their house that they had been renting in Spokane, Washington.
0: Another oh, but first, can. Let's see.
1: Another can. <laughs> Spokane. Oh God! So they they you know they take him out of that last hole and they put them in the pack of the you know trunk of the car. They drive them from Seattle to Spokane, which is like a five hour drive these days. It was you know probably at least that long back then. Um. They take him all the way supposedly to Blanchard, Idaho. Um, that comes into play later on in the story. Um, then they, where they handcuffed him to a tree for maybe an hour or something. Then they took him to Spokane to this Jesus. house that they. Had. Yeah, I know. I know. This kid is <laughs> pit to pit to chained, handcuffed to a tree.
0: Like, what the fuck? <laughs> He's seven. <laughs>
1: <laughs> he's nine He's nine, but yeah still okay. same difference yeah so and then and then they take him to spokane to the house that they you know that the the whaleys were living in um located at 1509 west 11th ave spokane washington
0: add it to the it's notes. still there
1: oh yep. wow add that add that to the walking list um it's a two bed at that time it was a two bedroom one bath hmm house um do you want to guess what they paid a month for it
0: um three dollars no oh, a month a month three dollars three I,
1: this isn't revel this isn't revolutionary war times
0: <laughs> um okay they paid thirty dollars
1: very close very close twenty eight dollars a month
0: yeah that's amazing and now the rents uh, are too damn high
1: Oh, they're so high. So uh, they took him back to that house um, where they basically kept him in a closet. They put a mattress down in the bottom of this closet, like a walk-in closet. So they put a mattress down and um, kept him in there with, uh, I think it was, I want to say that it was Harmon Whaley that was like, basically sleeping on the other side of the door at night and kind of like
0: making sure keep, he didn't you
1: know, get out making sure he didn't get out but at the same time later on George would describe his time being held captive there as not too unpleasant like they fed him well and um they would let him they would let him read like the newspaper uh stories about his his own kidnapping
0: Well, I mean, after the pit, anything is an upgrade. So he's not in a pit.
1: Anything's an upgrade. Yeah. And they they would like, like Harmon would like play the ukulele for the kid in an attempt to entertain him, I read at one point. And even like they were telling him. So like at one point they, Jordan admitted later that he was allowed to like, go walk around the house the outside of the house like unsupervised but he didn't he didn't think to run away or he maybe thought about it but he didn't run away because um his captors told him that you know he would be going home soon like the whole time they were they were assuring him that they weren't going to hurt him um, they didn't have any plans to kill him or anything and they were being pretty nice to him, mm-hmm. feeding him well and whatever. And, you know, trying to be nice to him. So he wasn't really feeling that threatened. So anyway, um, so they kept him there for, for that time until the ransom was paid. Right. Mm-hmm. So now we're, we're back up both sides of the story are at the same spot. So the ransom gets paid. Um, I don't know if whoever collected the ransom, you know, drove, to dumped the car in Seattle. They probably, you know, picked up their car, drove back to Spokane, I'm imagining, because it was a couple of days before um, George was delivered back to, you know, the west side of the Cascades, essentially.
0: That must have been, like, some tense days where you're like, okay, they took the money, where's my kid?
1: Mm Mm-hmm. But I think it was only one or two days. Okay. I'm not I think it was it happened pretty it happened pretty quick. Um, so essentially they take him back to I think it's the same place where they had him in the pit in the ground, but they were like hanging out <laughs> um, like this this shack in Issaquah. Uh-huh. So they they drop him off there at three thirty in the morning. Um, I don't know exactly. I want to say it's June 1st. Um, they drop him off there. They give him a bl- the blanket that they had initially covered him up with in the back of the car <laughs> when they kidnapped him.
0: Oh, God! They give him that
1: blanket <laughs> and they stuff a dollar bill in his pocket. Uh-huh. So that's like a week's worth of food right there. Uh, and they tell him to wait at this shack. Uh, for his dad to come pick him up, right? And this is 3.30 in the morning. He gets tired of waiting, so he starts hoofing it on his own. He starts walking down the road in the rain. Um, This is June 1st, so, you know, June, it's approaching summertime in Washington, but Mm -hmm. still 6.30, you know, 3.30 in the morning is still cold, (laughs) no matter what time of year it is. especially when it's raining out. So he walks for like six or seven miles and eventually comes to this farmhouse where this, this guy, this family lives. They're the, the Boniface, 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 Boniface. I don't don't know. know. Louis and Wilena Boniface live in this farmhouse with their four children And this little millionaire kid comes walking (laughs) up all dirty and wet at 6.30 in the morning to their front door, knocking on the door. They feed him breakfast. Um, They give him, like, a pair of dry, you know, socks and shoes to put on. And the father decides, well, okay, kid, I'm going to, you know, they had known about this kidnapping it was it was a huge story it was a huge story were like nationwide like it was capturing all the headlines across the nation so they had obviously heard about it they're like okay kid well uh let's get you back to your family so um luis boniface puts him you know loads the kid into his old dilapidated model t hey there it is model t and uh starts driving. They stop at the local Texaco station, right? And, uh, Luis Boniface asked the, the attendant there, can you make a phone call to the Weyerhaeuser family at their home number? (laughs) So they call the number, which I'm sure had been circulated wildly in the news, widely in the newspapers at that Mm -hmm. point. Like, Hey, if you see this kid, call this number or whatever. So they call the number and nobody answers. So then, he calls the Tacoma Police Department instead and says, "Hey, I've got this kid. I'm gonna drive him back to Tacoma." Um, and then they head out. <laughs> <laughs> so Tacoma gets this. Tacoma Police gets this news. They must have like spread the information around other police departments, whatever. Eventually, at some point, this this sports reporter in Seattle gets a tip that the boy's been found and that he's headed back to Tacoma in a black Model T from uh, Issaquah. Oh. He he hails a taxicab and just on a whim says go to Renton, which is this shitty town, it's whatever. But it's on the way, right? Mm-hmm. So, um they they're going there eventually he finds he spots the Model T with the kid in it. And uh, t- he tells the taxi driver to, like, loop, loop back around. They pull a Yui, and they, you know, they, whatever. They manage to make the, the car stop. This guy, his name is um, John Darer, I want to say. I have it written down somewhere. Uh, convinces convinces uh, Boniface that he's with law enforcement somehow. And uh, gets him to um, gets him to hand the kid over, right? Like, oh, okay, I'll get, I'll give him a ride. You know, back to I'm with law enforcement. I'll give him a ride back to town. Hands him five bucks. Sent, you know, probably pats him on the head, sends him on his way, right?
0: Uh-huh.
1: Now he knows this reporter knows that all kinds of cops are swarming, looking for this, like the most the the biggest story in the news for the past week and he's got the kid right Mm -hmm. so he knows the cops are out swarming um he lays down on the back floor and tells the kid to like lay down on the back seat um and and tells the the taxi driver like take the back roads back to tacoma right to avoid the cops uh-huh. And so while they're, while they're ducked down out of view, uh, you know, like, you know, on the floorboards and the seat or whatever, he can, he like proceeds to interview uh, George Weyerhaeuser about his kidnapping experience, like for the next hour and a half or whatever on their way back to Tacoma. So at okay. 745, they pull into the Warehouser driveway um, there's like sort of an underground garage type of a thing. They pull into there. Um, this, this reporter guy hops out, like bangs on the basement door. There's like a garage door he's banging on. Eventually a friend of the family opens the door. George Warehouser just kind of walks back into his house.
0: Like no big deal. And, I'm uh, home now.
1: Yep, exactly. And then, um, the 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 friend of the family just kind of shuts the door in the face of this reporter guy <laughs> <Huh>. <laughs> who was he was kind of expecting like wow you did it yay thanks or whatever Here's but they're some just of like
0: our, our money because we're
1: rich exactly right but he just got like a, a face palm like yeah okay bye-bye bye-bye now okay bye-bye <laughs> we don't care what you have to say <laughs> so but now he goes and proceeds to you know write up this big story it's like an extra extra read all about it kind of a thing it's a copyrighted story i don't know what that means but um apparently it was like you know it was it was released as an extra in the seattle times and it was um, distributed through the associated press nationwide um, but his interview with the quote unquote, you know, most famous kidnapped victim or whatever, like the world's most famous boy, that kind of a deal. Yeah. So I'm sure it was a hit, you know, whatever. I don't know. I didn't read the article because I didn't want to stoop to his level. <laughs> but. <laughs> well, <laughs> do have your
0: morals.
1: Yeah. So, okay, let me catch up with my notes. Blah, blah, blah. World's most famous kidnap victim. Read it here. Um, okay. So that's that. And then now. What happened? Now we're... Okay. So now the kids were safely returned, right? Uh-huh. The FBI are still involved, of course, right?
0: Uh-huh. But
1: now they can move their... Uh, their attentions away from recovering the kid to finding the kidnappers. Yes. So what they do is now all the, the, now that the kid's back, they don't have to agree with any of the kidnappers demands, right? Yeah. (laughs) Because we got the kid. So now they took, okay. So that $200,000 ransom money, the the FBI and cops or whoever had taken the time to record the serial numbers of every single one of the 20,000 bills that were delivered as the ransom. Oh. So t- picture 20,000 20, banknotes, you know, fives, tens and twenties. Yeah. They wrote down every single serial number and it it was a list 10 pages long, must have been real tiny print, uh-huh. but they distributed they distributed that list To, like, um, post offices, uh, train stations, you know, like, all the places where people might spend money. Mm -hmm. They distributed that list there and asked that they, you know, keep an eye out for, seems like a needle in a haystack. Oh, for sure. If you ask me. But, so that's June 1st that the kid is delivered back. June, on June 2nd. A twenty dollar bill, um, with one of the matching serial numbers, was used to purchase a train ticket to Salt Lake City from Huntington, Oregon.
0: Oh, just uh-huh. one ticket, just one.
1: Well, I mean, I imagine it might have been two. Yeah, that's that's where my went. That's where my mind went as well. I was like, wait a minute, just one ticket. Mm-hmm. But I think I whatever. So, uh, and then. As the story goes, the uh, in days to come, um, several of these, you know, dollar bills started popping up in um, Salt Lake City, like at the Woolworths department store. Apparently there was a young blonde lady um, showing up and buying various groceries and sundries
0: Ooh. for, you
1: know, for days on end. And, uh, the employees there noted, you know, made a note that, oh, these are the serial numbers of the bills. So they called the FBI, the FBI shows up and they kind of hang out for a bit. And sure enough, who shows up? Blondie, Margaret. And, uh, so they like pull her aside and start questioning her. And she's like trying to probably play it cool or whatever, Um, after a brief questioning, it says they, uh, you know, they found out she gave, she gave them her address and it was the town, you know, the address of the apartment that she had just rented like three days earlier in Salt Lake City with her husband, Harmon.
0: Uh huh.
1: Um, both of them, the kid. So she gives up the, the address, the cops go there, find Harmon, arrest him. So now two of the three kidnappers are arrested <laughs> and they give up the name of the third kidnapper. They're like, yeah, um, Swede was the brains of the
0: bunch. Oh, yeah, which he wasn't. <laughs> There's no way.
1: There's no brains of this bunch.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> but he was he was the older criminal, so I guess he had the most experience criminalling. Or
0: yeah, something. yeah, that counts for something, I S- guess.
1: So that's, <clears throat> I forget, if I think that was like June 7th or something. It was like basically a week after the kid got returned.
0: That's fast. These,
1: these two get arrested. Yeah, that fast. So then like a couple of days later, June 9th now, um, Swede, everybody knows that it's, uh, that's, you know, that it, he, his name has been dropped, right? Mm-hmm. So they're on the lookout for Swede. Um, he, he's seen, he's spotted in Butte, Montana by a police officer who recognizes him from being a suspect in a bank robbery like several years earlier.
0: Stop it. So
1: this cop, yep. So Swede's hanging out like, like out, on the outside of his this brand new car, first of all, mm-hmm. brand new car. With uh, 15, a suitcase with $15,000 in it, sitting in the the seat.
0: Oy vey.
1: He's like hanging out outside the driver's side door or something, maybe smoking a cigarette. I don't know, whatever. This cop pulls up, says, hey, don't I know you? And dude like books it over a fence and just takes off on foot, right? Uh-huh. They don't catch him. They don't catch him. But this cop didn't even know that he was um, fingered in the kidnapping of George Warehouser. He just recognized him as being a dirt bag from years ago, right? Yeah, <laughs> jeez. So he he piles off. I mean, what are you gonna do? But he left fifteen thousand bucks in a suitcase on the front seat of this brand new car, um, and books it. So he hides out in the hill in the foothills for like. A few days or something. Eventually, he makes his way down um, to California, um, and he kind of he kind of evades detection for almost a year. But at one point, he's he's caught. Let's see, in San Francisco, he's a few bills, um, you know, of the the known serial numbers show up in these banks in San Francisco, where someone has come in and tried to like trade him for smaller bills or whatever. Hey, can I get change for this 20 or whatever? So that happens a couple of times. Um, These banks notify the FBI. They come down, kind of like scope out. Eventually they catch him. Let's see. I'm not sure. So he's captured. Yeah, he's captured in San Francisco, blah, 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 after exchanging multiple marked bills at two banks Oh, he was armed with a forty-five caliber, uh, semi-automatic, pist- semi-automatic pistol. Oh, but he gave up. He but when the uh, FBI agents approached him, he gave up without a fight. Yeah, so, when
0: you're caught, <clears throat> you're caught. You know, you just go. When you're caught, you're yeah. caught.
1: And this was okay. So this was almost a year to the day. This was May of uh, thirty of nineteen thirty-six. It was like fifty-one weeks after the kidnapping or something like it was like right up there <laughs> he made it only a year
0: yeah. out there
1: and apparently in that time he enlisted the help of another dirt bag that he met um in the uh what was it idaho state penitentiary um some guy named edward fliss and edward fliss uh Was eventually captured as well. Um, This was like, oh, maybe like five months later, this guy was caught and he was someone who was basically just helping launder the kidnapping money.
0: Gotcha. Like
1: the Swede guy was like, hey, you know, if you go around to all these places and just like get change, you know, like give, you know, give him a five and get five ones, whatever. Um, You get to keep 15 percent of that. So he was doing that for, like, a few months and eventually got spotted and whatever got arrested. Um, So now we have all of the people responsible for the kidnapping are arrested. The kid is back home, right? Uh So everything's back together. Um, Let's see. So because of that, that thing where they transported the kid into Idaho. Uh-huh. Um, and in fact, later, Margaret testified in court that, yeah, I think we went into Idaho and then back into Washington. That was enough to make it so that, um, well, uh, well, whatever. They, they decided to, let's see, let's go with the first arrested. So Harmon and Margaret were the first arrested, Carmen decided not to have a trial. He decided to plead guilty right away, mm-hmm. and I don't even think he he had, like, a state-appointed attorney or whatever. He was like, nah, it's good. Um, because at the time, there was a new Washington state law where kidnapping was a mandatory death penalty
0: holy cow
1: so he was going with this like that Lindbergh law that was like mandatory life sentence uh-huh. so he was like nope I'm just gonna go ahead and plead guilty to the mandatory life sentence I'm not gonna take the risk of pleading not guilty and get uh put to death
0: yeah. if I'm found
1: guilty <laughs> so he was just like nah it's good <laughs> I'm just gonna go ahead and plead guilty so he's you know put on trial it doesn't take very long they ship him off to i heard maybe mcneil island which is like a a nearby I, don't, I guess it's a federal prison it's pretty nice it's on an it's basically washington state's version of alcatraz okay it's like this little island out in the middle of puget sound and it's very lush and scenic and i would love to live there i guess it's closed down now, I think, so I don't know. Maybe the whole I, island? Maybe I could home. Well, the prison part of oh, it. Oh, okay,
0: okay. I think
1: only only like half of it was a prison. The other half was like where the, I don't know. I think there, there might have been civilians living on that island, but whatever. So, but he ended up uh, let's see, he got what, okay, Harmon received two concurrent Forty-five year sentences. That was one forty-five, one forty-five year sentence for kidnapping, and one forty-five year sentence for conspiracy. Presumably, conspiracy to commit kidnapping or to mm-hmm. embezzle money or to whatever. So, but the the judge allowed him to be served concurrently. So he was sentenced to essentially forty-five years in jail. Margaret, um, she did take legal counsel and the legal counsel said hey if you work this right you can plead innocent and or plead not guilty and get off or whatever and she was like eh, there's that whole like mandatory death sentence thing and the counsel was like no no, no that's okay you'll be okay you'll be okay uh-huh. <laughs> don't worry she didn't get the death sentence but she was found guilty after trial And um, she claimed, like, oh, I didn't know that they had kidnapped the kid until after he was already kidnapped. So, like, I'm not really involved. And also, 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 I'm Mormon because she did, you know, she was born in Utah. Mm -hmm. I'm Mormon and um, my religion prohibits... Uh, women from disobeying their their husbands so
0: oh, okay um, so Your I'm not guilty. I'm defense. not guilty
1: there I'm yeah I'm super I'm super not guilty obviously right mm-hmm. <laughs> she got two 10-year sentences served consecutively okay not concurrently yeah so she got 20 years and then homeboy let's see let's go with Eddie Eddie Fliss, Edward Fliss, the little redhead guy that was just helping, the guy with the red afro who was helping launder the money, he got the 10 years Okay. after pleading guilty. And he, he served in McNeil Island because all these crimes took place in Tacoma. Apparently, even though he was laundering money in San Francisco, he got shipped back to Tacoma for sentencing. Huh. Um, and then he spent his 10 years, I think... I think he spent his ten years in Mc. Oh, I don't know. Uh, McNeil Island, I think maybe. But, uh, and then we got Homeboy, uh, Swede. Yes. Good old William Swede Dainard slash William Swede Man.
0: hmm
1: He was dealt wish dealt with the most harshly. He was given to sixty year sentences oh. to be um, to be served um, concurrently okay so okay. basically he got sixty years in jail um, after he was let's see he, he after he was sentenced he got sent to Leavenworth in Kansas Leavenworth federal penitentiary in Kansas where he was determined to be insane really <laughs> that he got committed... I'm sure he was just freaking out. I don't know. Yeah. He got committed to uh, a mental hospital in Missouri for a brief time before being transferred to Alcatraz. Oh. Yep, yeah. Yeah. So, um, let's see. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then... So... I'm going to hang on. I have to like go to my phone here. Real oh shit, I can't. Can you? Can you go to? Can you go to historylinks.org? dot org?
0: Three links. Hist
1: um, historylinks okay dot org. Um, and then like type in the warehouse kidnapping.
0: Okay. There right. should
1: be a good article there.
0: Historylinks.org. God damn it.
1: And then I'm gonna have basically I'm gonna have you read the um, <clears throat> like this would be like while the credits of the movie are roll are scrolling or whatever like this is the montage that plays out.
0: Okay. Like, well, first I had to at, look up like how a, to spell fucking Weyerhauser.
1: Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, because
0: it's not spelled like it's, how it's said. It's
1: not. It doesn't make any sense.
0: It's spelled like Weyerhauser. Um
1: And that's how some pe- that's how some people actually pronounce it. I think is Weyerhauser. I've never. I've grown up here all my life, and I've, well, not all my life, but I've worked in like forestry a little bit. I've only ever had heard it pronounced "warehouser," so whatever.
0: Okay, so I am at the page for there's, the warehouser kidnapping.
1: Yeah, you got it. I got it. Okay, scroll all the way to the bottom of the article. Not all the way to the bottom. There's after the. There's like an after. After. Log. After
0: the case.
1: Yes, read that.
0: It's like five paragraphs. It's six paragraphs.
1: Yeah, I know, but it, this is, wraps up. This wraps okay. up all the stuff. This is a good thing to read. Just go ahead and read it, all and right. you can give um, give credit to the author or whatever if you want. I'm sure somebody wrote shit. this. Not...
0: Okay, after the case, in <laughs> yep. appreciation for helping his son George, Mister J.P. Warehouser Jr. gave Louis Bonifaz lifetime employment in the Snoqualmie Falls Lumber Mill owned by the Warehouser Timber Company and a monetary reward of sufficient size to purchase several acres of land and build a new house in the Snoqualmie area. Margaret Aldora Whaley was released from the Federal Correctional Institution Alderson, West Virginia, on May 21, 1948, having served two-thirds of her sentence. After her release from prison, she divorced Harmon, resumed using her maiden name, Thulin, and moved to Columbus, Ohio, where she worked for the American Electric Power Company. Eventually, Margaret returned to Salt Lake City, where she married Robert J. Ray, blah, blah, blah. Harmon Metz whaley was paroled from the McNeil Island Penitentiary on June 3, 1963, after serving 28 years of his 45-year sentence. He allegedly wrote to the Warehouser family from prison on several occasions, apologizing for his crime and seeking employment with the company upon his release. Magnanimously, the Warehousers gave Whaley a job at one of the Warehouser plants in Oregon. He died in Salem on February 6, 1984, at the age of 73. That's wild. They fucking hired him. Yep. Um, William Daynard was eligible for parole in 1955, but the Federal Parole Board didn't believe that a three-time loser, that's in quotes, like Daynard, merited an early release, but he was later paroled. He died in Great Falls, Montana, uh, September 1982, 1992. Edward Fliss, who had an extensive criminal record, including kidnapping and robbery, served almost... All ten years of his sentence, he was released from MCFP, blah, blah, blah. George Hunt Weyerhaeuser attended Yale University and after a strong career as a mill foreman and general manager, assumed control of the timber company in 1966. Under his leadership, the Weyerhaeuser Corporation absorbed several new businesses and expanded their operation. He retired from the corporation in 1999.
1: Yeah, so he made good homeboy George, little boy George, who got kidnapped so many years earlier, Um, three years after his, uh, like, the the last Harmon was the last um, kidnapper to be released in 1963, Mm -hmm. three years after that, that's the guy who got the job, who would like, written the letters asking for jobs. Yeah. (laughs) And they gave him a job.
0: (laughs) Oh, so he ended up being his boss.
1: No, no, no. Well, he they shipped him down to Salem, Oregon. Gotcha. He wasn't like work he wasn't working nearby or anything. Okay. So but so that guy got gets released. He's the last of the kidnappers to be released in nineteen sixty-three. Three years later, young George becomes like the I don't know if they called him the CEO at the time, but he basically takes leadership of this giant corporation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> The little boy who almost didn't make it, but yeah, he, uh, you know, he, after he basically just put it all behind him. Um, in fact, he didn't, he didn't like to speak about his experience afterwards. He's just like, yeah, it's in the past, whatever. He just didn't want to dwell on it. Um, he went on to, uh, go to Yale. And he graduated from Yale with, like, um, some sort of, like, an industrial business degree. Or like, a bachelor's degree in industrial business or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, he then... That was in, like, 1949, I think. Um, he then immediately started working for the lumber company. But, like, at a mill... Or No, I think he actually worked harvesting trees for the first couple of years. Then he worked at a mill for a few years. Then he started getting into administration and then, you know, eventually uh, they just gave him full reign. So they, they put him through the ringer. He wasn't like, they didn't just drop him into, you know, a leather desk chair and say, okay, here you go. <laughs> like, they made, him, they made him do some work and he actually was reportedly, a, you know, a good force in the company he started like taking on ecological concerns you know spotted owl type stuff even before um it was mandated um so anyway he 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 was you know sounds like from all reports he was a good guy um i think i'm not sure if he's still alive but he, if he's no not way. Al- Dude, he... I mean, he was born in 26.
0: Stand by.
1: You can look it up, but um, I know that his son, who took over the company after him, homeboy George retired in like 88 or something. Uh
0: Uh-huh.
1: And his his son took over the company. And his son died of a heart attack at like the age of 59 or something. So... I know George outlived his son. Huh. Um, I can't I know. find it. I thought you... I'll do another update. Okay, so... Yeah, well, he was alive. I mean, he lived into the... At least the teens. I know that for sure. Okay. So at least until 19... Or 2012 or something like that. But... So I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised if the dude was still kicking it.
0: Okay, so this article I'm reading, let me figure out when it was published. 2019, apparently he was still alive. He lives in Palm Springs. Bro. Yeah. Who's
1: the, that dude's the best. Who live? who leaves, le- uh, you know, leads the, the most charmed life ever?
0: Yeah, he gets to live in Palm Springs. That's pretty exciting.
1: Well, also he's like a multi-millionaire.
0: Yeah, that helps a lot in life. Um, and he survived the kidnapping, which isn't very yeah, common.
1: Yeah, and had a good time. It was, it was probably like a camping trip for him. Mm-hmm. This kidnapping, you know, like he's just eating bologna sandwiches in a closet.
0: That's probably what I'm <laughs> gonna do as soon as I hang up the phone with you. So.
1: <laughs> well, I hope you liked this episode, Sydney. I pumped it up so hard on the social media that it was the best episode ever. It
0: is the best episode, and I didn't have to do any work, so I love that.
1: But it's a good story, right?
0: Yeah, it's a great story. You have Jeff Goofy. And with a hat. <laughs> <laughs> you got them all.
1: Yeah. Some uh, ditzy broad read, reads an obituary and's like, Oh, that's a lot of money. Let's go kidnap one of their families. It's,
0: hey, you got to take leads wherever you want. I think I forget what show it was. It might have been Friends where they were looking for an Someone was looking for an apartment, so they were reading the obituaries in order to find oh, right. a deal on an apartment. You got to take, uh-huh. you know, the opportunities <laughs> where you find them. And sometimes opportunity lies in death.
1: And sometimes you just happen to drive up on a... A nine-year-old kid who got let out of school early and is walking home instead of being driven by his chauffeur.
0: Oh, I hate that! I hate so much. I hate kidnapping so much. Hot take, controversial opinion. <laughs> I hate kidnapping. I don't like that.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, it all it all has a happy ending. It so does. You, you can rest you can rest easy tonight.
0: I'm will try to. Um Oh, yes, go they ahead. They
1: did make a they did make a movie sort of based on this. I believe it was called Show No Mercy.
0: Okay. Um
1: I think it was made in 1935 and it's based on, you know, the story of this this kidnapping attempt or whatever. No but way. Yeah, I didn't bother to I don't even know if you could find it. I'm sure you might be able to if, if you searched hard enough, but it it's probably not a good movie.
0: <laughs> I'll be I'm just guessing. that.
1: All right. Tell yeah. me. That, that sounds like a pup date.
0: Yeah. Um, all right. Well, hey, everyone have a happy hump day. Don't kidnap. Um, it's bad.
1: It is bad unless you get away with it. Have a happy hump day.
0: Oh, Rob, you're awful.